Another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And there is no off-season, baby. The uh, NFL season might be over, but the Alliance of American Football is kicking off this week with two games on Saturday and another two on Sunday. Are we actually going to talk about the Alliance? You bet that we are. For a few reasons. One, it's football. And why wouldn't we talk about football when we can? And then two, you can bet on it. So, of course, we're going to cover it. Three, you can even play season-long fantasy alliance football. And then four, and most importantly, I should say, we have a new sponsor for the show, Robinhood. So, you know, we need that uh, hashtag audio content. So here with me to talk about the alliance and what he has seen in the futures, win totals, and week one betting markets is Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time NFL odds and to track your bets for free. Ian, football season is not over. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I thought it was time to start pretending I like NBA like it is every other year around this time. <laughs> right. But now I get to go back, watch some good old good 11 guys try to you know physically overpower 11 other guys. There's nothing better. Yeah. And uh, I should say, it's not a given that it was always going to be 11 versus 11. You know, I mean, they could have had some weird rules where it was like seven versus seven. But uh, no, it's it's relatively close to football. And um, yeah, it seemed yeah. like that was one of their kind of key goals with this, too. They're calling it more of a d- developmental league. So, like, it's not like Canadian league and you got guys sprinting to the line of scrimmage. It's not like arena league. It seems like it's going to be pretty much legit normal football. Just, you know, a few small rule changes just to kind of hopefully help the viewer. Yeah, not for nothing is the uh, the phrase American football in the name of the league. So it does make sense. A housekeeping note, I am still in Texas. I have no internet. I'm using my phone as a hotspot. I'm using the travel microphone, so my audio quality might not be as good. But anyway, we have football to talk about, so everything is as it should be. Ian, you wrote a piece on the Action Network this week about the alliance, the rules, the teams, how the teams stack up against each other. Let's jump into that. Let's start with the rules. How is it different than the NFL? Yeah, so the big change is they're doing everything they can to eliminate kicking, which I full-heartedly support because let's be honest, people, kickers are not real football players. And that's what they got going on here. Extra points are gone. So you got two-point conversion after every single touchdown. They basically just want more on-field time. That means kickoffs are also gone. So teams are just going to start with the ball at their 25-yard line. What happens to onside kicks then? Basically, if you want to attempt an onside recovery, you get to attempt a fourth and 10 at the team's own 35-yard line. You know, I don't have the percentages for how often teams convert a fourth and 10 versus how often these kind of new NFL onside rules have been going. But, I mean, just based on what we know about football, it seems like there's going to be a much higher chance for uh, comebacks with these uh, new-look onside kicks. And the second kind of big change is that they're trying to increase the pace of play, which is, you know, obviously much appreciated. Play clock's only going to be 30 seconds compared to the NFL's usual 40-second clock. And there's going to be no television timeouts and reportedly 60 fewer commercials. I don't know if they're maybe lacking in sponsors and they're trying to spin that as like a positive with the fewer commercials things. But, uh, hey, you know, it's the, the goal is seemingly like it's kind of reduced the game time by about 30 minutes or so uh, for the viewer. So I'm all for this. And it looks like early on, you know, that this is all kind of designed to get more points. 
And that was the case in their uh, preseason rounds uh, so far. You know, only had four games, but average uh, point total in those games was 51 points. And every single one reached, reached at least uh, 44 points. So, so far, so good uh, from, from my point of view. All right. This is fascinating. We have eight teams. So walk us through the teams and kind of how the teams are divided, what the regular season looks like, all of that. Yeah. So eight teams, 10 week regular season, two round playoffs. As far as I know, I think it's just, you know, no conferences or anything. It's just more or less who finishes with the best, but mostly Southern based teams here, obviously playing football February and March, but we have, uh, and if you've ever played a backyard sports before, these sound like pretty much team generated uh, names you'd find in a video game. We got the uh, Arizona Hotshots, the Atlanta Legends, the Birmingham Iron, Memphis Express, Orlando Apollos, <laughs> uh, Salt Lake Stallions, San Antonio Commanders, and the San Diego Fleet. The Commanders in San Antonio are the only team with a dome. They will be playing out of the uh, Alamo Dome, which for a second I got really excited thinking it was the uh, Houston Dome that they kind of filmed in Friday Night Lights, but it's actually a different dome in Texas. I don't know how many indoor stadiums they have there, but good for them. It's a big state, some big cities, more than enough indoor domes there. Um, Okay, let's kind of like power rank these teams. You power rank them in your ultimate week one guide to the Alliance American Football League. Talk us through the, the power rankings and give us kind of like the sense of these teams, who the head coaches are, who the quarterbacks are. I mean, like a lot of these guys have been associated with the NFL or with college football so we should have a sense of, of some of these players, but uh, give us the lowdown on these eight teams. Yeah, so obviously, you know, we have no game film on these teams. We have right. no, no historical track record. So all I kind of wanted to do with this power ranking was do my best to evaluate how the coaching staff is, you know, if they're kind of stuck in their ways, if they've had any amount of uh, success recently, because we're going to, as you'll find out, there's a bunch of old timers in this league. Uh, and also just how good the quarterback is. I mean, if you watch football any length of time, it's not too hard to tell that, you know, quarterback play is usually the sign of a good offense. So I figured if we can just mostly identify how the coaching staff and quarterback are, that would be a good start because, you know, it's going to be tough to judge the offensive line, the defense, any of the skill position guys until we kind of see what these schemes look like. So with that said, my number one team in the AF is the Salt Lake Stallions. We got uh, Dennis Erickson, the head coach, you know, a long time. Dude's worked, worked everywhere. But most recently, he was a Utah offensive coordinator from 2013 to 2016. So has some local ties to this squad. The quarterback, I think, could be the best one in the league. We got Josh Woodrum. If uh, you're an NFL DFS preseason guy, I mean, you de- you're definitely a fan of Woodrum. He is legit kind of freaky uh, athletic. I couldn't believe it. But he actually has the fifth fastest three-cone time of all quarterbacks uh, since 2006. And he went ahead and completed 67% uh, percent of his passes for over eight yards per attempt during his preseason time. So, you know, it was really good in college, dual threat as well. In this system, I think it could really work out for him. Now, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the uh, couple of skill position guys, because we do have Kenny Bell. He used to be Nebraska's number one receiver, and also Joel Bagnon. Sorry if I messed up his name, but he was very productive out of Northern Illinois. Not oh, sure yeah. you have uh, thoughts on these guys from your years of kind of checking out these prospects. Yeah, I mean, the big guys uh, who play running back, and, and Bognon has – I'm screwing up his name. I know I have to be screwing up his <laughs> name. But he has really good size. He doesn't have good speed, but I don't know how important that's going to be in this league. And, and I guess I would kind of like to flip it back to you to get your sense of – like how important do you think the running back position is going to be in this league? Because like my kind of shooting from the hip sense of this, most teams will probably look to pass the ball 
quite a bit. I think more than what we see in the NFL. And so I think from that perspective, like running back athleticism might not be that big of a deal in terms of guys running, but guys who are good at catching the ball, that could be a really big plus for some teams. For the wide receivers, it's kind of hard to tell. Like Kenny Bell was one of those kind of underachievers in college, um, but he did get some, some draft hype when he was going through the process. So, you know, he's someone to keep an eye on. And then on the outline, you also have uh, Jordan Leslie. He's also someone to, to keep an eye on. Like this is an intriguing team, but I'd like to get your thoughts on, on what we might expect to see in the pass versus the running game split. Yeah, it's everything that this league's kind of pointed out seems to uh, point towards them embracing more of a spread offense uh, type appeal. But the problem is we've had a couple of these coaches already kind of drop out. And that's one of the things we're also going to be paying attention to with these squads. Uh, Hugh Freeze, the old uh, Ole Miss coach, he unfortunately stepped away about two months ago. There's another air raid base coach that uh, ended up stepping away recently. So I was a little more confident in kind of these all-out passing attacks before a couple of those guys left. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think any of these teams are necessarily, with the exception of uh, Mike Mike Singletary's squad, uh, are going to really stand, (laughs) try to go like and just pound the ball 30, 40 times a game. But yeah, one of the things I did look at in my article was the uh, run-pass ratios from preseason just to kind of because I think the sooner we can kind of identify which teams are maybe still stuck in the mud and which teams are kind of embracing these new forward-thinking offensive principles uh, could definitely be an advantage. And, yeah, I'm with you with the wide receiver uh, kind of just general outlook. All these teams pretty much have one uh, athletic freak that has underwhelmed on the football field because why else would he be uh, in this league right now combined with maybe another former collegiate star and then maybe you got another guy who spent a year or two in the league as like a backup. So pretty hard to evaluate any of these skill position guys, I think, until we see the schemes and actually uh, see them on the field. All right, so that's the Salt Lake Stallions checking in at number one in your power yeah. rankings. Uh, okay, number two, you have the San Antonio Commanders. What do you make of their team? I mean, they at least got some stability. Mike Riley is their head coach. He was at Oregon State from 03 to 2014. Most recently, went over to Nebraska and replaced Bo Pelini. You know, didn't do a real good job. Again, none of these guys really have. That's why they're in this league. But uh, the big thing for San Antonio is their quarterback, Dustin Vaughn. Uh, Cowboy fans probably remember him. He was uh, kind of their number three QB for a year, yeah. I think. Had uh, Played a little bit in the preseason. Guy looks the part. I mean, he's 6'5", 235. You know, I've read all these great leadership traits in these reports on him over the past week. But uh, he was actually the number four overall pick in the AFF's QB draft. So, you know, he was thought high of there. And uh, led all Division II quarterbacks in passing uh, when he was a senior back in 2013. Obviously, you know, since 2013, things haven't been as well. Only completed 53% of his passes in the preseason. Didn't, couldn't latch on the Cowboys, Bills, Steelers, or Ravens. But this is at least a guy that's, you know, had success leading his team, pretty much putting him on his back. And he's got kind of, the, you know, the arm strength, I guess, build we look for. So that's, that's more than a lot of these guys can uh, say. But yeah, elsewhere on this team, it's interesting. They got Kenneth Farrow, who, you know, back, was a backup with the Chargers, along with David Cobb, a uh, former Titans backup. I was mentioning those preseason splits, but San Antonio had the second most uh, run-heavy offense in the preseason. So that'd be interesting if uh, Farrow and Cobb kind of get their chance to really get a future workload. And then at a wide receiver, a couple interesting guys to keep an eye on. Uh, Mikhail McKay, uh, he's got four total capitalized letters uh, in his two names. He was a former high school, former high school basketball star, six foot four, 207, could see some jump balls there. And then a former Houston quarterback, Greg Ward Jr. One thing they did mention in this league is they, you know, Houston, Greg Ward, San Antonio, they, they did try to purposely put three to five guys on all these teams that were uh, kind of college uh, stars at one point or another to hopefully uh, help the local interaction, which I think is awesome. 
Yeah, and that's actually there's there's like no joking about that. I mean, I think they went really out of their way for the Salt Lake Stallions. If you were just kind of looking up and down the roster, offense and defense, so many of the players went to uh, Utah, Utah State, BYU. Like they really loaded that team with local guys. And given that Erickson actually has connections at Utah, like part of me is kind of wondering if that is like an additional thing that that team has going for it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, In comparison (laughs) to, to some of the other teams, like there are guys who are familiar with him as a play caller and with his system. And yeah, you see that uh, definitely with the San Antonio squad too. Ward is someone who uh, is intriguing to me. And honestly, I mean, like I will be curious to see if they do some kind of inventive things with him out of the backfield. Like if he kind of becomes like an all around player in that scheme. And I mean, I don't want to say like he's going to steal the quarterback job, but like, (laughs) I don't, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if they ended up using him quite a bit. Like, I think he will be kind of like a Taysom Hill function, except even like a a larger part of that offense. Interesting. I like that call. Yeah. It's going to be these uh, mobile quarterbacks. I'm not sure how willing some of these teams are going to be deploy them kind of in their, if they're going to embrace, you know, a college offense where the quarterback could see 15 carries or if it's going to be more NFL oriented because our next team might have the most athletic quarterback in the entire league. Yeah, well, let's get to that. The Arizona Hotshots. Uh, <laughs> tell us about this team. It's such yeah. a great name, too. Amazing name. So, yeah, head coach uh, Rick Neuheisel, head coach UCLA, Colorado, Washington over the years, was even the OC for the Baltimore Ravens. But, uh, yeah, basically, most recently was the head coach at UCLA from 2008 to 2011. This is what kind of worries me about the Hotshots because they are the odds-on favorite to win this league at plus 250. Their head coach really hasn't been all that involved in yeah. uh, the last eight years or so. So worried about how, you know, innovative it's going to be there. I would have loved this team if Hugh Freeze was still there, but he left the job in December to go be Liberty's head coach. So, you know, if you watch any of those old Miss teams over the years with Chad Swag, Kelly, uh, Shea Patterson, some of those guys, I mean, really, you know, new look. And the only reason he's not still there is because, you know, some of his recruiting tactics. So it uh, would have been great, but alas, uh, no longer. But yeah, like I was talking about the quarterback here, Trevor Knight, uh, you might remember him, former Oklahoma quarterback, beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl one year, got beat out by Baker Mayfield the next. Ended up going to Texas A&M, uh, was on the Cardinals preseason squad for a bit. The guy is like a 96 percentile Spark X athlete. I mean, he runs a 4-5, legit, I mean, scored 10 rushing touchdowns in his last 11 collegiate starts. The guy can run like a legit running back. The problem is he hasn't completed over 60% of his passes at really any level of football. I mean, it's kind of like the Josh Allen thing. I wouldn't be shocked if we went back to high school numbers and we see Trevor Knight, you know, like 58, 59%, not quite 60. So that's why I wanted Freeze so bad for this team because I thought maybe this could actually be a coach that could take advantage of Knight as a runner, really kind of get the best out of him. But now I'm not sure if he's going to be pigeonholed into some kind of pro-style offense that we know for a fact he can't succeed in. So I'm really interested to see where this team goes because a wide receiver, I mean, they got former Eagles, Josh Huff, yeah. former Buccaneers receiver, Freddie Martino. The running back, Jarrell Presley, I mean, you can talk about him a little more, but super athlete, really productive in New Mexico. I like what they got going on around it, but I just don't know a version of Trevor Knight we're going to get. I think that really is the key, is the partnership between the coach and the quarterback. Is there going to be an offensive system that facilitates what Trevor Knight does well? Um, because there are really interesting athletic pieces around him. And so if, if they can bring it all together, but I don't, I don't trust the head coach to bring it all together. 
and as, as you mentioned, and we'll talk about this a, a little bit later, but uh, in the futures market, the hot shots are the prohibitive favorite, which seems, I mean, like it, it seems a little random for any team really to be a, a kind of large favorite in an entirely new league when we just have nothing to go on. But they are plus 250 favorites to win the league. And I think it's a pretty easy fade for me there. Okay, the fourth team in your power rankings, the Birmingham Iron. What do you see with this team? Yeah, so this team is pretty much, I guess, my hottest call here because they seem to be the prohibitive underdog everywhere I look. But I don't, I don't see why I kind of like what I'm, I'm looking at with this team so far. Their head coach is Tim Lewis. He's just bounced around the NFL. is pretty much a solid secondary coach, cornerbacks coach uh, from 2007 to 2015. So, you know, more of a defensive-minded guy. So that's fine because offensive coordinator Steve Logan, who, you know, I'll admit I don't have a ton of uh, history looking at his scheme, but his history coaching seems to suggest it's a guy that's open to new things, open to changes, because he was the head coach at East Carolina from 92 to 2002, helped turn around that program. Then he just had like three stints in NFL Europe doing his thing out there. So he has experience in these new leagues. And then he went to, he was even the quarterback coach in San Francisco as recently as 2015. So seems to be a guy that's at least spent the last, you know, two decades learning about new styles of football and really staying involved, which is a lot more than we can say about some of these other squads. But yeah, and talking about, uh, you know, local ties, Birmingham's definitely one of those teams with all these Bama guys, Blake Sims, their former quarterback. He'll be the backup. Uh, Trent Richardson, everyone's favorite bust, is the uh, starting running back for the Iron. The guy I'm really interested in, though, is their quarterback, Luis Perez. He's not much of a runner, but, man, this guy balled. This, he could be the best quarterback in this league, I think. I mean, he played at Texas A&M Commerce, which was a D2 school, but he won that national championship and was player of the year as recently as 2017. I mean, completing over 70% of his passes, threw for 5,000 yards. I mean, absolutely bonkers numbers. And then this past preseason, he was good enough to stay with the Rams for all four games. I mean, he only got in in week four, but that's still four weeks with Sean McVay. And, I mean, this guy isn't like a Dustin Vaughn where he's had all this success and then, you know, five years of nothing has gone by. This was 2017, you know, pretty much. He tried to catch on last year on NFL and couldn't do it. But we can still look at this uh, Luis Perez guy as more or less being kind of a full-time athlete. So I like what I'm seeing with Birmingham. I mean, it's Again, I don't know enough about Steve Logan and kind of Perez himself to be super confident, but I don't get the hate on him by the overall market. You're kind of selling me on Birmingham a little bit. Yeah, man. The fact that Perez is just kind of like a a, a total no-name is something that does give me a little bit of pause. But yeah, I mean, he did play well at a lower level. And I'm going to be honest, like the Trent Richardson thing kind of intrigues me. Like the skill position guys on this team intrigue me. Like I like Quentin Patton way more than I should, just kind of going back from his college days. And then, you know, Quan Bray is, you know, like a solid professional. I mean, they have some guys there. If the coaching staff is good enough and the quarterback is good enough, and like we just have no way of knowing. But yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it does seem a little bit weird that, you know, they're one of the, the massive underdogs in this league at this point of the show. It's time for what everyone looks forward to, and that is to hear me talk about a sponsor. And that sponsor is Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 
the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Action Network NFL podcast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at action.robinhood.com. That is action.robinhood.com. Ian, let's uh, talk about the four remaining teams, the bottom feeders, if you will, of the uh, the alliance. Ranking fifth in your power rankings is the San Diego Fleet. Tell me about this team. Yeah, so we got Mike March, great show on turf head coach. A lot of uh, enthusiasm here. You know, can he recreate that amazing offense we saw 20 years ago? But man, like I just see so many red flags on this coaching staff in terms of it looks like a bunch of old timers, you know, get the band back together again. I'm just not sure anyone on this coaching staff has really done much of any studying or innovating in the last decade. I mean, look at Martz after the Rams, he was an OC for five years and didn't have a top 15 scoring offense during that time. His offensive coordinator was Martz's tight end coach when he was with the Bears, Mike DeBoard. His defensive coordinator is now 76 and was Martz's defensive coordinator with the Rams in 04, 05. So, I mean, it just seems like, you know, Martz already um, came out and said he's going to run that same offense he had you know, uh, made famous with the Rams. So maybe that works and maybe that's enough to get by in this league, but it's looking really iffy once you look at the quarterback because, and for people that don't know, I mentioned this earlier, but there was an AAF quarterback only draft. So each team went, you know, one through eight, pick a quarterback, second round, go ahead, pick another one. And so the first pick of that draft was Josh Johnson, but they had it before the uh, NFL season ended. So Josh Johnson, you know, then went in with Washington, played well enough to kind of get a job with the NFL. So San Diego lost their first overall quarterback, and now they're rolling with former Arizona State quarterback Mike Brkovich. Sorry about that name. But, yeah, man, I mean, this guy's got a absolute gun for an arm. I mean, he threw that famous uh, Hail Mary to Jalen Strong a couple years ago against USC. I mean, there's no doubting his arm strength, but he's also just a complete risk taker. I mean, in seven preseason games, he had one touchdown, seven interceptions, which is, you know, pretty amazing that you can throw seven preseason interceptions and keep getting a callback in the NFL. You know, he's only six foot tall, 205 pounds, not a big guy. The offense as a whole threw three interceptions in their first preseason game. Whole, whole lot going around here. I think it's a situation where there might be a high ceiling, but there's also a pretty low floor. And I just, um, man, it, it seems like you're putting a whole lot of faith in some guys that we haven't seen uh, really fulfill that faith in a long time. Yeah, this goes either remarkably well or remarkably <laughs> poorly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I am actually interested in this team. Brukovici was a decent college quarterback. I, I really wish Josh Johnson would be here because I, I loved him back For in sure. college. But the backfield intrigues me. Like Terrell Watson, I like him way more than I should. Azusa Pacific guy, but like incredibly productive in college. And I thought always had kind of like an underrated chance of success in the NFL. Just kind of didn't work out, but a great athlete. And then Owusu has like great physical attributes and uh, is reportedly a pretty smart guy. So like there's, I don't know, there's like a lot to kind of like about some of the players here. The question is, I think, solely with the coaching staff. Like, can Mike Martz make an offense that seemed revolutionary 20 years ago seem like it's something even remotely close to a modern-day offense? And, like, I just – I don't know. Like, if there's no innovation here, then that, I think, is kind of troubling. At the same time, like, maybe he can get away with a kind of somewhat antiquated offense 
in this type of league. I just I don't I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, we're going to notice with these final four teams we're talking about. Pretty much the main theme for each of them is we're not sure what the offense is going to look like. And there's maybe the potential for it to look pretty good, but either the coach has not done it in a while or there's been a shakeup recently. So, yeah. All right, let's go to this, uh, this sixth team, the Orlando Apollos. Great name, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic name. And we got another coach that was, you know, on top of the world back in the 90s, Steve Spurrier. I mean, this could be a legit, you know, I could see the community rallying around this team. I mean, Florida people are just so, uh, you know, want Spurrier to be great in Florida again. I feel like that's all they need. But again, it's been a while since we've seen Spurrier do much of anything. I mean, he didn't even have a top 30 scoring offense his entire tenure with South Carolina. I know he helped kind of turn around that football program, deserves credit for that. But I mean, even when he, he guys, you know, cup of coffee with the Redskins didn't have a top 20 scoring offense there. I love the fun and gun as much as the next guy. But again, this is something that I don't know if it's going to still work 20 years later. Even more kind of questions about the rest of this roster, though. Quarterback Garrett Gilbert was at Texas, kind of looks the part, real big guy, pretty strong arm. But I just really haven't seen him succeed at any level at this point. He had a 49 to 45 touchdown to interception ratio in 47 games at SMU in Texas. I mean, the guy does, he's more, more or less a statue in the pocket. You're not getting much scrambling ability. So, you know, they were able to win uh, their first preseason game. They got a week high, three interceptions against uh, that Mike Martz offense. So I'm going to keep an eye on this defense because, I, I don't know, maybe it's some revolutionary scheme we're going to see, and they're really great at creating turnovers. But I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't love the idea of the fun and gun just taking over in this. And I don't know, man. What do you think? You know what really interests me is actually the wide receivers. I think Spurrier might actually have the wide receivers to make this work. And granted, like I'm sort of valuing Charles Johnson <laughs> probably more than I should, <laughs> but like, cause I thought he, he was like so good in college and like such a great prospect. And then he, you know, he flashed at points in the NFL, but like that might be enough. Like he potentially could be a real difference maker in this league. So you have him, you have Jalen Marshall who had some pretty good production in college you have some other guys, uh, Deontay Dye, who has uh, at least some NFL regular season, I wouldn't say success, but like uh, some experience at least. Mm -hmm. So like that's actually a pretty solid group of wide receivers. So you have those guys with a quarterback that, you know, at least at SMU, Garrett Gilbert was semi-competent, at least, at least like in his last season there, he did fairly well. So you put that with Spurrier, like that actually might be the type of team that Spurrier needs. And then Akeem Hunt as the, the running back, I think he's probably good enough as a receiver to kind of work within that offense. Like, I, I don't know, like it kind of intrigues me. They might have the players to work in Spurrier's offense. I think one of San Diego or Orlando is going to be really good. One of them just could be a train wreck. I'm not yeah. sure which is which. Yeah. Okay. Atlanta Legends, a legendary name. Talk about this team, and they are seventh, uh, second to last in the power rankings. Yeah, they're getting a little bit more love from uh, the odds makers than I'm giving them, but my biggest issue with this is Brad Childress was their head coach, and he left the job on January 9th, seemingly with – and like, he, he left it, and everyone kind of thought, okay, Childress is getting back in the NFL game and all this. You know, To my knowledge, that really hasn't happened, so I'm not sure what Brad knows that we don't, but that, that's a massive red flag. The head coach just said, nah, I'm good a month before. You know, offensive coordinator, everyone's favorite guy, Mike Bick, that's great, but, I mean, 
we, we have no idea if Mike Vick could call an offense or how right. that's going to work. His, his most successful offense was more or less running around. I mean, I, I should give him more respect the way he did with Andy Reid. But, I mean, he was a coaching intern for Andy Reid and the Chiefs in 2017, and that's pretty much the only history we have of him as a coach. And my biggest issue, though, is Matt freaking Sims is their quarterback. And I had to double-check because I, I knew for a fact, you know, we had Chris Sims, and I oh, I must have just blacked out in my mind that there was a, a second just – disgusting sims quarterback because i have no idea how matt sims still has a job this yeah. is absurd he, he wasn't he wasn't good for a second in college he wasn't good for a second in the nfl preseason and yet here he is starting ahead of aaron murray who you know at least has the most career touchdowns in sec history among quarterbacks so i have no idea how long this leash is for matt sims but I can't trust this team as long as he's apparently the guy under center. I, I don't love the wide receivers on this team nearly as much as a squad like Orlando. I guess uh, their backfield is a little bit interesting. We got Denard Robinson, you know, shoelace out there, former Notre Dame back. Uh, Terry Ann Folston has done a couple of nice things in the past. But to me, it comes down to the head coach leaving and Matt Sims. And I cannot get behind either of those things. Yeah, I agree. I think Aaron Murray is the backup. And at some point, I think he's going to be the starter. I just don't see any way they trot out Matt Sims for the majority of the games. But uh, I mean, by then it it pretty much won't matter. Like their season will be (laughs) over. But yeah, I agree, especially with the concerns of Mike Vick. Can he actually call an offense that is suited to someone who doesn't have his skill set? So that will be interesting. And I mean, it honestly wouldn't be surprising if Denard Robinson (laughs) at some point ends up taking some snaps. You know, I mean, like Denard Robinson would actually be kind of like the perfect quarterback for a Mike Vick offense. (laughs) So that'd be perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll just, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Yeah. But Atlanta Legends, I think for me, a, a pretty easy team to fade. Okay, man, coming in as the last team in your power rankings, the Memphis Express. Yes. Basically, I am fading Christian Hackenberg because it's worked for me up to this point. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a life philosophy. It's, it's not a bad life philosophy, but okay. And this is another team where we just had a coaching change not too long ago. How Hume, who's had a lot of uh, history in air raid offenses, left the team in November. And really, they didn't seem to, at least on you know, the AFF website's official staff, didn't seem like they even really replaced him with uh, anyone else. So I'm wondering if this offensive mindset is now going to be crafted by head coach Mike Singletary or defensive <laughs> coordinator Dennis Thurman. Just kind of your two patented, like, been in the NFL forever type of guys. But, I mean, there just wasn't any success here. Singletary had one good 49ers defense, but otherwise him and Thurman never had a top 15 unit. And, again, guys, we're coming back to Christian Hackenberg here to solve all this, and I just don't trust that for a second. I mean, this whole team just has red flags already popping up. They drafted, like, in the QB draft, Troy Cook in the first round, and they just released him in favor of Hackenberg. I mean, Hackenberg couldn't even go in the first round of the AFF draft. Think about that for a second. It's unbelievable. And then even these uh, – it's harder to get behind these skill position players. I couldn't even – like, it's, it's a bad sign when you're putting in these skill position players into pro football reference and just nothing is coming back. And then you go to sports reference and nothing's coming back. And it looks like the number one target is a Fairmount State University receiver who played in the arena league named Fabian Guerrera. And I literally couldn't really name any other receiver. And then at running back, we got Zach Stacy, who we last saw averaging 2.9 yards per carry with the Jets in 2015. So we don't even have like an explosive scat back. Maybe we just never had the opportunity Instead, we got a washed-up NFL back that probably never should have had opportunity in the first place. So, Whoa. 
Whoa. I, know, I really can't think of a good thing to say about this. Thing. I have a special place in my heart for Zach Stacy. Um, <laughs> you know, decent, uh, decent college back. I would actually say underrated college back. And then, you know, he had a, uh, he had a decent rookie year, his, yes, his first year in a, that Jeff Fisher system. But uh, yeah, it's, it's so easy to dislike this team, a defensive minded head coach with no certainty at offensive coordinator and a team quarterbacked by Christian Hackenberg. Like, I, I am going to bet way too much money against this team every week. Just, it, you know. Yeah. Like, it, was not, it was not hard to feature my article title around fake Christian Hackenberg. That, that was my single biggest, like, point from all this research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, I think, the, the point of a league like this. Get a guy everyone hates, put him in a really suboptimal situation <laughs> so that uh, sports bettors who uh, don't have any NFL to bet on can uh, just bet each week against uh, a guy that they really dislike. That is the function of this league. Okay, let's talk about the futures and win totals. Amazingly, there are some sports books, or at least one sports book out there, that has posted win totals, which is just kind of amazing. But let's look at the the futures and the win totals. Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah, the two I'm probably going to be backing are uh, the Salt Lake Stallions at plus 500 and the Birmingham Iron at plus 1,200. You know, I talked about these guys, but right now my quarterback power rankings, you know, I got Josh Woodrum and Luis Perez pretty far up there. And, you know, especially for the Birmingham odds to be dead last at plus 1,200. I mean, pretty much any team other than Memphis at plus 1,200, I think I would take those odds just because – I don't think anyone really has a good idea on this. And then uh, Salt Lake, you know, just everything we talked about, I think they seem to have a pretty stable, competent coaching staff and actually have some, you know, level of historical success on the center. So those are my two favorite. And, yeah, I mean, I would just really refrain from, you know, going with the favorites like Arizona in a league that we know pretty much nothing about. Right. What about the, the win totals? Anything there stand out? Yeah, so going off that same point, I like the Arizona under six and a half. I mean, this is 10 regular season games, and you're expecting a team to win 70% of those without having seen them play a single snap. So I like that under. I like Memphis under five because of every negative thing we just said about Hackenberg and that team. And I like uh, Salt Lake and Birmingham over their win totals. I, don't, I mean, I would like to compare just kind of, I guess, the odds differential between the championship odds and these win totals because it seems like you know the win totals are just too spread out. I, I totally agree. A 100% chance I'm going to be betting some of these right after we get off of the podcast. <laughs> there are some other props that might be interesting. Uh, we might as well talk about them now. One of them is, will any AAF player or team be investigated for match fixing, wager fixing, or prop fixing in 2019? Uh, what are your thoughts here? So yes is plus 600 and no is minus 1,000. The key word in this is investigated. So why can't yeah. someone just like go on Twitter and say, hey, I paid X running back $50,000 to do something that he did during the game. Then the AAF will investigate it, find out that you're full of crap, but now you just won your bet. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing that's probably not worth doing, but I do like this next one legit. Total years of existence for the AAF over under four and a half years. I went to the fine folks at Wikipedia to look at all the professional American football leagues. There's basically been 16 over the last hundred years and only the AFL, which eventually, you know, merged in the 1970 with the NFL and arena league made it past four years. So, and we got the XFL coming out next year, unless you're just head over heels confident about the AF, which, you know, based on kind of, 
all these head coaching changes already and you know this kind of free for all league we're seeing i wouldn't be overly confident in five years i mean maybe two and a half we can have a conversation but i'm pounding that under yeah i mean the yeah and the under is plus 110 so the, right. the one i mean it's ridiculous the one thing that i would say is like theoretically i am really on the under in actuality, like I'm not going to bet it because I'm not going to like give some <laughs> sports book like money just to hang on to like for multiple seasons. You know what I mean? That's so, right. Yeah. So it's a situation where it's like, wow, that is a really bad line. You know, I think they're almost giving you like the plus wanton odds to entice you to make the bet. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, just I something I kind of don't want to deal with. But uh, yeah, I would say bad odds. This next one is interesting to me because it's kind of tied with the idea of how popular is this league going to be and it has to do with the attendance the opening day attendance for two of these teams walk us through these yeah so we have atlanta at orlando and the over under for the capacity i'm sorry the over under for attendees at the game is twenty six thousand, and then we have san diego at san antonio and that over under is twenty eight thousand. so I looked at these and the first thing I just kind of thought was, okay, these are two basketball towns. So I want to see what those games kind of average. And Orlando Magic games average about 17,000 people per game. Spurs average about 18,000 per game. Obviously, you know, we're going to be at uh, Spectrum Stadium and the Alamo Dome, which are much bigger than these uh, basketball arenas. But high 20,000 seems like a whole lot to start this off. I mean, I know it's saying the numbers are reported by CBS and, you know, I'm sure they kind of might boost those up a little bit. but I'm just inclined to take the under here because oh, like we have absolutely no idea how interested people are, and that's a, that'd be a lot. Yeah, out of all of the numbers I saw, these were the ones where just without thinking, I was like, oh, I'm taking the under. <laughs> like, you know, this this is a league that might not exist in a year. I was just like thinking, like, no one's no one's gonna want to go to these games. But I mean, I might be wrong. I would be pleased to be wrong. Um, but part of me is just like, no, this is this is not gonna work. Okay, we have some week one matchups this weekend. Four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. All of these games, I believe on CBS, right? They, they are live on CBS. I believe uh, they're showing one live on CBS and the other ones are on CBS Sports Access. They're, you know, package you got to buy. But Okay, yes, good information. Walk us through these four games and uh, if there's any you know, potential betting implications that uh, people could exploit. Yeah, so Saturday, we got first game, Atlanta Legends at the Orlando Apollos. Apollos are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Also have the San Diego Fleet at the San Antonio Commanders. Commanders are five-point favorites. Then we have the Memphis Express at the Birmingham Iron. Iron are only one-point favorites. I'm sorry, that game's on Sunday. And then our next Sunday game is the Salt Lake Stallions at the Arizona Hot Shots, and the Hot Shots are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Now, the over-unders, the highest one of any of these games is the Atlanta Legends at the Orlando Apollos, and that's 44 and a half. The rest of them, you know, we have 43 and a half, 40 and a half, 42 and a half. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but out of these four preseason games, all of them reached at least 44 points, and the average was 51 points. And these were games where, again, they were treated like legit NFL preseason games where three different quarterbacks were going in there and, you know, throwing passes. There wasn't you know, it wasn't like these teams were trying their hardest to score points with their first team offenses the whole game. And yet we saw the points already go that high. So my biggest inclination here, other than, of course, back in Birmingham over Hackenberg, is to <laughs> pound these overs. Right. I'm in total agreement. 
I mean, I don't want to say I'm going to blind bet all of the overs. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if that happened. One thing that is interesting is that, so the market has made Birmingham for the season, you know, like to win the championship, the biggest underdog on the board. And yet they are favored by one in this game against Memphis. And I mean, I know that they are at home, but like, what does home field advantage really mean in a league like this? And <laughs> like on top of that, just like the discrepancy between how the markets, the future markets are valuing Memphis versus how Birmingham is being valued. Like there's a discrepancy there, like b- between what we're seeing here and the futures markets. So that, like that is something that is kind of interesting. For sure. And the other thing that we're already seeing too is just because the no extra points, uh, seven is no longer a key number. Yes. So, you know, we're seeing all these spreads, four and a half, five, five and a half. I know uh, Bill Simmons used to call it like the Vegas zone where, you know, odds makers don't quite know what to do with the game. So they just kind of throw up between four and five and a half points. And I think that's what we're seeing right here. And that's why, you know, just to see Vegas really take a stance on Birmingham, I, I don't get it. And maybe, you know, we'll, we'll watch them play a quarter next week and then it'll make perfect sense. But I don't quite get that one. The other thing I will say, uh, remember, San Antonio is the only team with a dome, and we got Mike Mars playing his first game in the <laughs> dome on the road. So if you are going to pound one over, take that 43 and a half with San Antonio. Mike Martz in a dome. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. How, how could you not take the over? Uh, yeah, imagine not taking the over on Mike Martz in a dome. The one thing that is uh, kind of standing out to me a little bit and it goes along with looking at the overs here. Remember, these teams have to go for two. And so like teams have been more efficient at scoring two points. In the end, it is kind of like a plus move. So not only does seven not matter as much, but I think we should sort of just inherently see games drift to the over because teams are converting uh, the two-point conversion. So that is just kind of one other thing to keep in mind. Ian, anything else to say about these four week one games? I have uh, nothing else to say th- today or this week on the AAF. I, 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 I yeah, poured nothing. my heart and soul into this slate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing more to say today or maybe ever, uh, <laughs> except just take the over. What other content are you working on? I got some UFC content coming up this week. Make sure to check out a UFC 234, guys. We'll have uh, uh, some previews for the main event as well as the co-main event and if you are not already please go follow at action fights on twitter that's where all our fight content will be during this time where we're just looking for more physical stuff to cheer for uh without the nfl so all right that is going to do it for this special alliance episode of the action <laughs> network nfl podcast please rate interview the show on itunes subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe for ian harditz i am matthew friedman matt at the oracle see you again next episode